Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Ariel Goodman, who's here in the studio in Denver with me today, and we're going to be talking about her work with the Venus Star Point and uh, a lot of other things. So, hey, Ariel, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be back. Yeah. This, it's been a big uh, in-between. It's been a little bit since last time. Last time I saw you in person was actually like March, mid-March of 20. 20 i don't entirely recall what was going on then do you oh nothing like being invited to come to the denver astrology meetup and while i'm here do a studio recording and then 48 hours before my trip the governor closed down all public spaces in colorado uh, because covid was descending like a dark cloud over the state the country and the world. Oh yeah, that's what it was. There was a pand that's pandemic. Was. Minor detail. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. So you were scheduled to come out to Denver to give a talk for the local astrology group in yeah. right in the middle of March. It was like March 14th or something. Something like that. Yeah. Of 2020. The Ides of March, I remember. It was that weekend. Yeah. And then literally the entire country went on lockdown pretty much that week as the pandemic like swept through the world and the US finally started catching up and paying attention to it and luckily um Lisa was like paying attention Lisa Shine was like paying attention to what was going on with that and was like we have to cancel the meetings so we canceled the in person meeting and we switched it to a webinar but you still came out and we did the interview in person, and that was the last in-person interview that I did for quite quite some time. Right. Um, and then I actually ended up getting sick like a few days later, and then I was sick with COVID for like a, a month. Um, but here we are. I know. I felt terrible about that. Like, oh, no, I hope that COVID onset for you wasn't tied to my visit. I really felt bad. No, but I don't, it I, wasn't. I somehow I... Fingers crossed. It hasn't hit me yet. Mm, good. You know. Yeah. Keep it up. Um, but I've been being kind of careful and, you know, uh, how I've been dealing with it mm -hmm. and taking it seriously. Like, um, uh, I guess, a good little soldier. <laughs> I've been following, you know, uh, the instructions of, you know, all that. And, sure. and and the distancing. I mean, we were really in lockdown those first few months. It's, mm -hmm. It was like I wasn't seeing anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really weird time. So it's been two and a half years since then. Um, you're starting to be able to travel again, uh, obviously, and you're back in Denver for the first time since then. So uh, we, we thought we would do meet up and it's a nice little thing to like bring things full circle and um, it's actually very fitting this month because this month there's going to be a really important shift that involves Venus and the Sun and their synodic cycle yeah. where there's going to be a conjunction of Venus and the Sun. And even though that's something that happens you know, semi-regularly, this is actually a really important one, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're tracking Kazemis of planets um, together, it's really fun to watch um, planets from Kazemi point to Kazemi point, because you can really see a pattern. That That's one thing that it's another dimension of looking at the planet. And when I first started, you know, really observing this star, it was from the Kazemis. Um, I think a lot of people had talked about, uh, or several people had talked about the fact that Venus 
makes a pentagram in her orbit around the sun. But we, I didn't really know what that was all about or, you know, and in 2004, when I began researching something for a tour I was doing on, in, on the sacred feminine and then Venus was going retrograde that spring in Gemini, I started tracking, I started looking, okay, let me look at this retrograde, let me look at the last one, let me look at the one before that, and pretty soon I saw there's the pentagram. Now you can track the pentagram from any point to any point in the Venus cycle. Venus has a, you know, 284-day cycle around, you know, of its own synodic cycle. So you could go, where would you start the synodic cycle? You know, do you start it with heliacal rise? Do you start it with retrograde? Do you start it with direct? Um, I chose the Kazemi for several reasons, and if you want me to explain them, I will. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start out with the basics for people. Um, I'm going to put up a chart right now for those watching the video version of this episode just to show here's the chart of today, but I'm going to move it forward to later this month when we get that conjunction um, just so we can sort of anchor this discussion on that point first of just the conjunction of Venus with the sun, which looks like it's going to take place um, later this month around October 22nd, 23rd? 22nd. 22nd. Well, in our in the U.S. time zones, it could be the 23rd in other parts of the world. Got it. So it's going to take place at 29 degrees of Libra mm -hmm. when Venus, which is currently direct in motion, conjoins the sun. And so this happens, these conjunctions with the sun happen, uh, what, twice a, twice a year? Not always in the same calendar year. Okay. Uh, it's about every 9.2 months that mm. Venus and the sun meet up. Okay. Um, and each time they meet up, it, it, it just so happens that in this calendar year, we had a Kazemi in January, and it was at 18 degrees of Capricorn. Mm. Um, and we have been in that, what I would call that Capricorn vibration. I, I look at these nine-month periods of, of the Venus star point to be kind of how uh, an underlying drumbeat or heartbeat of what's going on in the world behind the scenes. We don't see it normally, the zodiac we're looking at, the zodiac we're looking at the other planets and their transits, but we don't always track what Venus, you know, this Venus Kazemi and how it's affecting people. And what was interesting, I was noticing in the news this year that everybody who came up in a big way in the news had an 18 degree Capricorn in their chart for the day or the week or the event of what was happening for them that made some kind of big news. And that was this last Kazemi. Um, and because Venus has five points on the star, not just one, I look at, you know, the two past, the two prior Kazemis, as well as the current one we're coming into, and the two after that as the sort of hot degrees on the star for that for our whole period. Okay. So that, let's break that down a little bit further for those that are new to this topic. So there's there's a con conjunction happening later this month. There was a prior conjunction which is in the sign of Capricorn earlier this year in January. Right. You said that they they happen in about 9 month increments mm -hmm. typically give or take. Approximately, yeah. Okay. And what's weird about that and what your work focuses on is that they tend to 
take place then, um, because they happen in nine month increments, they create a, a pattern which is a five pointed star or or like a pentagram across the zodiac where they will stay clustered. These conjunctions will just happen in the same five signs for an extended period of time, right? Mm -hmm. Over and over. It's a very slow moving uh, mechanism, this Venus star clock that I call it. Mm -hmm. um, and for instance, this Libra point, it, it, they, it always begins, the new star point, it, when it enters a sign, it always begins at the last degree or two of the sign mm -hmm. because it's moving more or less clockwise through the zodiac, the way the nodes move. Yeah, it's moving So it's going to enter the sign at 29 degrees. So it's like a beginning and an ending at the same time. Okay. Beginning of an era and the ending of an era. So these conjunctions, so basically this conjunction in October at 29 Libra um, is going to happen in October. And then at some point in the future, there's going to be another conjunction in Libra, but it'll shift uh, a degree or two backwards right. right with an in-between kazemi in four years in zero degrees of scorpio which will be the last scorpio star point for 150 years the last hundred years of this star point have been scorpio since 1926 sure so okay so eight years from now basically um there will be another conjunction like the one that's going to occur this October. It'll also occur roughly the same part of the year in October, mm -hmm. yeah. but it'll shift two degrees earlier to be instead of 29 Libra, like this month is, it'll shift probably to like 27 exactly, Libra. Exactly, so. 27. And, mm -hmm. and then eight years after that, there'll be another conjunction in Libra, mm -hmm. also in October, but it'll shift two degrees earlier. So then it'll be at like 25 Libra yeah. or so. Mm -hmm. okay. Exactly. So that's the basic thing is that these conjunctions happen in the same spot in the, the zodiac roughly, just minus two degrees, roughly almost the same month and almost the same day. Yes, a day apart. If it's two degrees apart, it's usually a day or two apart. Mm -hmm. Because remember, it's conjunct the sun. And so wherever the sun is, Venus is going to be. Right. So you can always, if you know the sun cycle around the zodiac, you can always track well, okay. We know when the sun's at 29 Libra, it's basically around October 22nd, 23rd, you know, each year. Okay. And so, you know, people's birthdays come up, for instance, during that. And I've had several people comment on social media or email me and say, wow, my birthday's October 22nd. What does that mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's it's a big deal, you know, because I, as I've been tracking this Venus star, when it when the Venus star Kazemi um, activates one of your planets, it it's really waking that planet up. It's shining an amazing amount of you know heart energy, light, love from Venus. You know, it's like it's like a really bright, radiant kind of um, effect, mm. and. It's not always an event that you can say is wonderful. Sometimes it's shining on your Pluto. Sometimes it's shining on your Saturn. Sometimes it's shining on um, a difficult aspect pattern that you have a tight square or T-square in your chart between. And if it's hitting that, it's hitting all three points or something. So 
you know, you've got to go dig a little deeper with each chart to see, okay, actually, how is it activating your chart and what's it, what's it saying now? But pretty much, I would say, um, with the research and all the charts that I've looked at since I started working with it, which is now 18 years, um, that um, I, it holds pretty true to form in terms of, uh, yeah, people will, I've, I've always said to people, if, you, if you're ever thinking of writing your memoir, um, you could look at your life just through the Venus, the, the Kazemis of Venus to your different planets when that occurred, because you will have more, more or less a pretty big event. And that could be like a chapter, hmm. you know, this event when it hit my Mercury or when it hit my Saturn or when it hit my Pluto or whatever. Okay. I like what you said about it sort of shining a light or putting a spotlight on whatever planets it's touching in your birth chart because it makes me it reminds me of the ancient Greek word for Venus which I think was was light bringer. Yeah. Uh phos phosphorus. Or... Yeah, Venus phosphorus is one of her designations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that... There's two Venuses as you recall from, you know, the ancients what they gave us, the Venus um, morning star is um, Venus uh, Pandemos and the evening star are phosphorus, and then Venus evening star is Venus Urania, the celestial Venus. So I always thought, well, that makes sense because in astrology, we always assign Venus to two signs, Taurus and Libra. And I think that the Venus Pandemos is much more like Taurus. She's the, the um, earth goddess, and the morning star is more like the earth goddess. And Venus evening star is Libra. It's like the celestial goddess, air. She's up in the air, you know, and she is literally up in the air. The evening star is the superior or the exterior conjunction mm -hmm. where Venus is on the far side of the sun. Okay. Um, so that brings up one of the diagrams, which is that so this is a slide from one of the lectures that you've given recently, and it shows that um, upcoming conjunction or that Kazemi of the Sun and Venus at 29 degrees of, of Libra, mm -hmm. but then it also shows the other conjunctions like um, the Capricorn one you were talking about earlier this year. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had that one in January. Okay, January of 2022. Yeah. And maybe... The listeners can relate to 2022 if they have anything around 18 degrees of any sign. This is such a slow-moving thing that I think 18 of any sign, it's going to affect it, but especially 18 of Capricorn or 18 of the cardinal signs. Got it. Okay. So um, so that what we're looking at for the audio listeners is just how these uh, conjunctions of the Sun and Venus hover around the same degrees in the same signs and just makes this five-pointed star for these very extended periods of time. Um, but what's significant about this Kazemi that's coming up in October is that um, up until now, these conjunctions had been taking place in Scorpio for a very long period of time, right? Since 1926. Okay. So basically every um, conjunction that had been occurring around this time or as part of this part of the five-pointed star. Right. For like this arm of this the star. Arm of the star. For I call them arms. 
arms and legs, but arm, we can, we could say an arm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like a arm of a starfish or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all of these basically for a century had taken place in Scorpio, but now all of a sudden it's shifting as of this month and all of the conjunctions from this point forward are going to take place in Libra for how long for like a century till 2133. Okay. 2133. That that's quite a ways in the future. So we're talking about a pretty major shift shift here astronomically and, and astrologically. Yes. But I want to uh, interject one point. Um, though the Venus star Kazemi always moves backwards, occasionally it will go forward one degree and then continue its journey backwards. Mm -hmm. it, it just kind of wobbles a little, kind of like the nodes do. And so in 2026, four years from now, we will have a morning star at this point. But instead of it being 29 Libra, it will be zero Scorpio. Mm. And it will be the last point. And it's interesting because Scorpio came in. The first Scorpio star point came in in 20, 1926. And the last one will be 2026. So it's an even 100 years. And that is about the average of uh, Venus star in a sign is about 100 years, sometimes a little more, 108. It might take that extra eight years to, to finish it, or sometimes it's 96, a little bit less. But think of it as really a good chunk of time, a century of okay. time. So this is kind of like a preview where we'll get that first conjunction in Libra. The next one in two years will fall back into Scorpio. Yeah, four years. Four years. Yeah. Four years will fall back into Scorpio, but then um eight years from now back to Libra to stay got it okay so that's kind of like with the jupiter saturn conjunctions and the the great shifts in those triplicities where back in 1980 for, for most of the 20th century it was all conjunctions in earth signs mm -hmm. then in 1980 we had the first conjunction in an air sign in libra but then it backtracked and went back into earth in the year 2000 but now, as of 2020, the last conjunction was in Aquarius, another air sign, and it's going to be all air signs for, for the next few hundred years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing how much air is coming into the, the Zodiac um, framework in over the next decades, uh, several decades, mm -hmm. because this Venus star Libra is going to be around the whole rest of the 21st century. Mm. Um, up until 2133, so even into the 22nd century. And uh, we know that the you, you just mentioned the Syzygy Jupiter-Saturn. That's a 20-year Aquarius now, but it's air for, what, 200, the next 200 years, right? Yeah, it'll, it'll hit all the air signs basically yeah. during that time. So 200 years for Jupiter-Saturn. Um, a hundred plus years for the Venus star point. We have Pluto coming into Aquarius in another short bit of time here mm -hmm. um, to uh, add to the mix. Um, it's going to be quite, I, I think, quite a shift in um, ideas, mm -hmm. thinking uh, processes, learning processes, um, it already has the the shift in learning already started with the Gemini uh, star point uh, that came in uh, in the '60s, but 
and I, I can talk from a historical point of view about all these star shifts because that was the other thing that fascinated me about this Kazemi shift from sign to sign because, because it embodies a whole 100-year period for each of the major signs that it's in. Uh, you can really track historical trends and cultural preferences. And we know Venus to be like our personal value system. And so when we're looking at something this big, you know, for the collective, it tends to be more of what is the collective value? What does the collective want? What, are, what is the collective need? Um, and w when it's a value, or a want or a need, we tend to invest in that, you know? So companies get busy investing in certain kinds of things that are going to meet um, the needs of the time. Because at the bottom line, what is Venus about? Resources, you know, how do we? So with that said, okay, there's some big shifts ahead for the, for the world, but what about our personal lives? And I think, that we are going to be looking at, okay, how do we meet the needs of a new Libra star point period or a new air period in terms of what we're doing in the world, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. Mm, okay. So a lot of air themes, I mean, communication is, is also kind of an air archetypal theme, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not just seeing that with, as you said, the Jupiter Saturn, which was huge in 2020. We're not just seeing that with the Pluto ingress, but now Venus. And, and Venus, we're used to thinking of Venus as like a, a quick personal planet that does transits that come and go over the course of a day. Um, or occasionally, maybe we get like a longer retrograde period that's like 40 days and 40 nights. Mm -hmm. But with this cycle, we're talking, you know, centuries. So, so Venus in some ways then. Um, in her transits might have longer term cultural impact basically as part of the implication of this than maybe we're used to thinking about. Mm -hmm. Well, the 40 day, 40 night period, which I thought was quite interesting when I, when I found that about Venus that, you know, because there's so many references in ancient literature to 40 days, whether it's biblical or religious texts or, you know, whatever culture you're looking at or, or reading about, there seems to be a 40-day kind of um, metaphor. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think it's a metaphor. But it always made me think, well, how much did the ancients really know about Venus? How, how serious did they really track it? We have some records of it. You've translated some really important things about and brought to the world, you know, things about what the ancients thought about Venus. And I've read other things too. Um, I have a quote in the book from um, um, Eben Ezra uh, uh, about the morning star, evening star, the difference mm. in her in her effect on the world and all of that. And I think it's it was really good. And I still use. <clears throat> I'm really very much um, in touch with how that works for people. And I, I pretty much um, talk to them about it. But in the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 584-day cycle of Venus, the synodic cycle, um, it's kind of like um, the retrogrades, the 40-day period of retrogrades are 
the um, the time where she really stops, turns around, pauses, regroups. It, it it's that's what makes the star point Kazemi. That's what's the interior conjunction happens in the middle of the retrograde. So that's a star point, and I call that the beginning of that cycle, that 584 day cycle. Um, and then as you know, she goes around, then she'll do an evening star Kazemi or a superior conjunction Kazemi somewhere else, but that's halfway through the cycle until she comes back again. And then she's at another, by then she's already traveled through two different star points. Okay. So that's an interesting point though, uh, with the retrogrades, that 40 days and 40 nights that Venus starts out when she stations retrograde um you know in one phase but then retrogrades hits the kazemi and by the time venus stations direct she's in a different phase in terms mm -hmm. of morning yeah. morning star versus evening star right you could look at the first if she's retrograde for 40 days you could look at the first 20 days of every venus retrograde as her emptying out of that cycle you know, of the last of the previous cycle of the finishing up of that cycle, like a balsamic phase, you know, like emptying out. And then when she hits the sun and they do the Kazemi and she begins her new uh, journey, even though she's still retrograde, because she's, you know, I think of her as, you know, going through the transition process then of, okay, I'm shifting gears now. Okay. Um, and and it's often I have found when a lot of companies or um, pe things that people are working with suddenly they're saying, oh, you know, well we used to we were doing it this way, but now there's been a memo or a email to everybody, and now we're shifting gears and and, and starting, you know, on such and such a date we're going to start doing it that way, um, or we're going we're not using that. Um, even something as simple as we're not using that text anymore or that that uh, font anymore. We're we're changing over to this one, mm. or something. You know, and I, I just I think okay, this is this is part of this shift. So many people in the world are unconscious about the planets and what they're doing. And they don't have any interest in them, and they have no idea what they're doing. But somehow, it's coming through. You know, right. it's what's fabulous about astrology, I think, because things are happening anyway, or they get the impulse to make this change just at the appropriate time that you would think from a planetary point of view that it's due. Yeah, I was noticing some stuff in the news recently with the, the Mercury retrograde and the, the Mars retrograde that's coming up, where there just seemed to be a clustering of like similar events popping up in a number of different areas in the news which was a perfect manifestation of the astrology um, and even non-astrologers were noticing just like similar themes coming up in different ways in the news but it's really when you know the astrology you sort of understand like archetypally what the um, energy or what the theme is that's like manifesting during that that point in time right right it's like when the client calls you or emails you or, or when you're on the phone with them or on Zoom or something and they say, this is so weird. I mean, this has come up three times in the last month and and it, it never has come up for me before. Mm. And I'm like, well, you know, Mercury or Venus is retrograde right now, right on that spot. 
you know, and it passes over three times. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or especially right now, it seems like one of those periods because we don't just have this month, the Venus, uh, the Kazemi with the sun and that shift in the star point, but we also have, um, you know, Saturn is stationing. Mm -hmm. The Saturn Uranus square is getting the closest that it'll get. Um, in basically, f as part of this square, this is the last final close pass between those two. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a, a solar eclipse in Scorpio, followed by a lunar eclipse in Taurus. Mars is going to station uh, retrograde. And it seems like there's sometimes um, I notice when stuff like that happens, when you see a cluster of different astrological things falling all around the same time that are major, sometimes in people's lives, um, everything starts happening at once and you'll get like multiple different parts of a person's life coming to an important turning point at the same time. Yeah. And also it's just damn confusing. Mm. It's like, okay, these guys are going forward. These guys are going backwards. Right. These guys are stationing, but then there's an eclipse over here and you know what? So what, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's usually when you'll get an influx of client requests too, of, you know, because they're doing the same thing. Like, what is going on? Mm. You know, which way am I supposed to go with this? Yeah. People are just trying to figure out what's going on and, and what the time frames are involved and what the significance is of like a, a nexus in time where multiple different threads or or um, paths all sort of like converge around the same time periods. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And October... I've been listening to the astrology podcast for a long time. I want to take a moment here to acknowledge what a great job you're doing with this and Thanks. what great content it is. And but um, I like I you I've heard it mentioned on the astrology podcast. I think maybe in the beginning of the year, but also in my forecasts, which I focus on at the beginning of the year, based on where the Venus Kazemis are and what the stars wheel is doing what the star clock wheel is doing mm. and i because it was 18 degrees capricorn this year i thought well 18 is really a hot degree all the way around because there's a saturn station at 18 there's a uranus station at 18 the venus star point is 18 um there were a couple of other things maybe too at 18 this year the nodes passed over 18 um I don't think the eclipse hit 18, but it, it was close. It was 16, or will be. Um, we're still in the Scorpio-Taurus set of eclipses, but um, so that hasn't shifted yet. But right after this Kazemi coming up, there's a, a lunar, a solar eclipse in Scorpio, early Scorpio. So that's going to kind of emphasize that last part of Scorpio too, you know, from a regular astrology, it looks like the beginning of the sign. But if you're looking at it from the Venus star position, or even the eclipses, which, you know, go backwards, like the nodes, mm. um, it's sort of more or less the end of Scorpio. Yeah, because one of your points is that eight years prior to now, there was a Sun-Venus conjunction, and it would have been at one or two degrees of Scorpio, right? It was, yeah. Okay, so that and that's exactly where this upcoming eclipse is, which is yeah, one to two degrees of Scorpio. Yeah, so that's a good point. If you look at where that uh, this eclipse is hitting something that was going on eight years ago, 
Mm, right. Okay. Um, and that's you know something already that Venus would sort of be highlighting some of that anyways because Venus highlights things things in eight year increments, but for some reason that eclipse is also hitting that Venus degree from eight years ago mm -hmm. this month. So for some people, especially if that's hitting something personal in their chart, it's going to be uh, reactivating or bringing back or sort of sometimes reminding you of something that happened eight years ago around this, this same time. Yeah, 2014 mm, we'd okay. be looking at. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, October, October, November 2014. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so... So that's one of the ways in terms of like personally that people can look at this since this is a shift or it's starting to shift the Venus star point. Um, one of the things that you look at or do you want is one of the things you look at, like the house placement of where the conjunction is going to take place. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Is because the sign is, you know, for everybody, it's the same. It's it's the sign universally 29 mm -hmm. degrees Libra. But where is that in your chart? Right. You know what house so yeah the house factor is very important and if you're using whole sign houses uh which i imagine most of your listeners are doing mm. right sure i mean what system of house division do you use well i use the coke system because okay. i was trained that way mm -hmm. and i just have always found good results but you know what sometimes i look at the whole sign also because mm. i'm just wanting to see especially with births way up north and how it skews the wheel so much, right. you know, I, I will look at whole sign houses. But um, so that means your Scorpio house and your Libra house are, are absolutely two different houses, right? If mm -hmm. it's shifting signs, it's also shifting houses. Right. But that's not true for people using other house systems because that cusp might be in the middle of a house. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, think, it makes me think about how most people alive at this point, um, you know that that all of those conjunctions of the Sun and Venus that have occurred their entire life up to this point in Scorpio, that it's going to shift to Libra. And yeah, for some people with the the whole sign house topic, that that is going to be a shift because now, you know, a lot of those conjunctions for the rest of our lives are going to take place in this other house in a person's chart. So you could kind of start to get a sense of what topic shifts you might be seeing or that you might expect in terms of shifts in a person's life let's say you know for me it's moving from 10th house so let's say career things to 9th house which might be like education or um you know publishing or other things like that and i heard it said yeah yeah i got a book coming out I don't that there's something in the works we're yeah. gonna wait and see yeah i'm not unveiling it yet but no, there might be there might no, be something later this in month process right yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's really interesting just in terms of thinking about that in terms of shifts from one area of life being emphasized to another area of life being emphasized and this being sort of like the turning point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just 10th house in general, 9th house in general is dr during transits through the planets in the in the zodiac the way they normally go which is anti-clockwise they would go ninth house first you know let's say saturn's in your ninth house you're doing all your studying you're doing all your um you're you know you're really working on the 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 study part of it um to master the craft whatever mm -hmm. and by the time it gets to the 10th house you're called upon to actually 
um, do something with it. You know, okay, here's a job offer. Here's here's our here's a promotion because you've just been working on this or something. And so it would tend to go that way. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at it going the other way, tenth house, you've already had all this experience, and still your experience as a writer and a teacher as well. But ninth house might focus more on, you know, ninth house matters. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense to me. Uh, one of the things that's interesting thinking about it that when you were talking earlier about like trends and changes in trends that sometimes happen in like companies or other things like that, it also made me think of because it's interesting that the Venus retrogrades, um, that those conjunctions and the retrogrades move backwards, sort of like the nodes do. And it's the, mm-hmm. it's one of the few things that moves against the order of the signs of the zodiac or against the normal motion of the planets. Right. And it makes me think of how sometimes, um, that like fashion trends move in cycles and sometimes you'll see like a fashion trend come up from a few decades earlier that suddenly comes back and starts being trendy again because right. i'm i'm starting to see like some fashion trends from like the 90s or the 2000s that are coming back into vogue and uh, it makes me wonder if it's sort of connected with some of those venus retrograde cycles or with the venus conjunctions in some ways mm-hmm. could be hmm. I have, when I was doing my initial research, I did notice that in the fashion world, things repeat after a time, and that I did think it was tied to the Venus star cycle, you mm. know, what's popular now and uh, what goes out of fashion and then comes back around again. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's also interesting that it's the moon's nodes and the eclipses, which I guess we, we could see the moon as feminine, right? Um, generally speaking, is it termed a, a feminine energy or it has been traditionally? Mm, sure. And the Venus star would be the same. And it's just interesting to think about that, how it how those two things are going one way around the wheel and everything else is going the other way. Mm. And the uh, that's one point about Venus, thinking about the Venus and the Venus pentagram that way. The other thing is in astrology, we are used to the fourth harmonic um, conjunctions, squares, oppositions, Saturn, especially moon, lunations, quarters, you know, full moons, third quarters, new moons. And and for planets, the same. You know, we we look at that fourth dimension, a fourth harmonic. Um, Venus is on the fifth harmonic. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different part of your brain, actually, that's being used. Um, I think it's really um, more right brain uh, going that way around. So it's using this hemisphere of the brain, the right hemisphere of the brain, whereas looking at the fourth harmonic is probably more um, using the left um, hemisphere of the brain. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that that's blowing my mind thinking about that. Your point right before that that um, that the the eclipse cycle basically, which is really the moon's cycle, even though it's it's the sun and moon coming together. It's the the moon is the one that visibly often like changes the most when it comes to the lunation cycle and its relationship to the sun, and then and how the eclipse cycle and the nodes. Um, move backwards against the order of signs, and then how you're pointing out how the Venus 
star point and the Venus retrogrades move backwards in the order of signs as well. That's super interesting. Like that makes me wonder if that wasn't part of the original motivation for some of those ancient distinctions where you know that that they said that the moon and venus are feminine planets and and the other planets like um jupiter or mars are masculine planets mhm i know i've thought about that too we we wonder what what how they got those designations but it is interesting to look at it from that point of view yeah well that's so much of what i've found in going back to ancient astrology that i found fascinating that made me want to made me find that appealing at all especially coming at it from modern astrology was just that oftentimes there were once you sifted through the history and the built up tradition if you went far far enough back you would start to see astronomical rationales for some of the astrological lore and the astrological interpretations that had built up over the centuries that somewhere at the core of a lot of the stuff that we use today that we take for granted that there were um basic often observational astronomical distinctions so yeah i mean maybe that's maybe that's one of them or maybe that gets back to the core of something that goes right back to the beginning right and we identify those quarter moons by where the moon is not where the sun is mm. you know the full moon is in um aries when we're the sun is in libra and so we're identifying it as an aries full moon right or a capricorn quarter moon mm. or a cancer quarter moon for this month you know when when we're in the sun's in libra mm -hmm. so we're uh, you know we're actually identifying it and interpreting it from that sign more or less that degree right. as well those sets of degrees but um generally the sign yeah, that's a really good point. So the lunation cycle or the synodic cycle between the sun and the moon is often primarily defined by the moon's position, right? Uh, as as primary or as the most fundamental thing, even if it's the moon's position relative to the sun, right? Got it. Okay, right. that's really mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so this is interesting. This is getting us to some interesting core stuff that I didn't. I didn't. This is just arising naturally. It's one Good. of the reasons why okay. I like having these conversations in person because yeah. when two astrologers like get together in person, there's just stuff that arises naturally. Yeah. Um, we never know where it's going to go, and it's always mind blowing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. It's one of the things I miss about astrology conferences. That's nice now that they're starting to take place again. Is is having that in person dialogue and exchange um, between astrologers? Yeah. I've missed that being in Greece. I don't have a community there of astrologers to really converse with at that level. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are communities, but I live sort of away from it and all that. So coming to coming, I flew here to to do a conference and you know, a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And this is part of my extended tour. That's how I happen to be in Denver now, because my ticket's going back out of Denver. <laughs> um and uh, the it, it's been great to be gathering with astrologers again and having these kind of high level conversations. Yeah, because you went to a few astrology or a couple astrology conferences or gave a couple lectures before this. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and do you have? I'm actually curious because somebody is asking me about what the contemporary astrological scene is like in Greece, and you've been living there the past couple of years, but you, you're not connected very much with the local astrologers. 
I am when I'm in Athens. Mm. Um, I have a um, colleague who lives part-time in Athens and part-time in uh, California, uh, Alexandra Karakostas. Mm -hmm. And she and I actually do tours together in Greece um, from time to time. Okay. And um, we're, you know, we did the last one we did was last year in 2021. It had been canceled twice because it was a scheduled for 2020. Of course, COVID came and everything was locked down. But we did it about a year ago, the end of September, early October 21. And it was really, it was really great. Everybody, you could feel how happy everybody was to be traveling again and to be in a group like that. Mm. Um, and um, so we're doing, we're planning another one um, as well, but not immediately. Um, and she's connected. She's fluent Greek speaker. Uh, I'm learning Greek. Mm -hmm. I'm on day 275 in a row of my Greek lessons with Duolingo, which I um, have to recommend if you're trying to learn a language at home online. It's a, it's a pretty good course. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the astrology in Greece is in Greek. And so, but there are a handful of astrologers that do speak English very well. In fact, they're OPA satellites or ESAR satellites or, you know, over there in Greece. So they're they're part of that. And also there's a, a huge uh, astrological community in Istanbul in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And I've connected with them too a couple of times. Um, so yeah, it it is uh, interesting. But I don't know, here there's just a lot more of it. And I don't have the language problem as, as well. But that's the other thing. When I first learned astrology and I had been traveling around the world, I realized, you know, at the first foreign astrology conference I had gone to, this was in France in the 80s, um, everybody was wearing their badge with their sun, moon, and ascendant on it. And, and some of them even had their chart wheel drawn out or whatever. And I thought, okay, I don't speak French, but there you are. I know, I know you, you know, and right. and we know each other. This is a common language. Yeah. It becomes like the universal language, even if you don't have like a primary language, something all astrologers share in common if you, you put them in a room together. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so all right. So let's circle back. Actually, I was going to circle back, but I, you've mentioned a funny thing last night, which is the we, we were talking about a topic of um, uh, astrologers and, and dating and stuff, and like mm. uh, not knowing um, your partner's uh, birth chart has been a little bit of a, a challenge for you recently. Mm -hmm. Yes, I partnered with somebody who has no idea when he was born. Mm. And none of the remaining family members do either about their own births. It wasn't recorded. It wasn't written down. He was born in England, and for some reason, I it wasn't recorded anywhere. So, so birth time or even birth date? Oh, no. He knows the birth date, okay. but not the time. Got it. But still, it's frustrating when you, when you want to put it in a wheel. You know, you see all these planets hanging out, <laughs> just floating in space. And the wheel, you know, the houses kind of grounds it, doesn't it? It puts it into context on Earth. I always see right. the houses as the, as the actually environment or the Earth experience you're doing, whereas the signs are more, you know, kind of up here. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and you know characteristics way of you know re, way of being whatever um and so it it is a little frustrating not knowing and and so many days i'll go okay he's taurus rising i know it because mars just hit this degree and something happened to him and uh the car blew up or something and he all kinds of other things happen simultaneously and i'm thinking okay it's <laughs> he's taurus rising or whatever but it could be taurus on any angle it could be uh but whatever you know it's like this constant speculation and so i was just thinking i wonder how many other people have had this situation too where you're really close to somebody could even be your parents, because a lot of parents didn't have their birth times um, recorded. Mm. And you're forever wondering, well, I wonder what they're rising is. I wonder what house their son is in, you know? Right. So you're you're constantly somewhere in the back of your mind trying to rectify the chart and trying yeah. to figure out what the what the correct ascendant is and what the house placements would be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty common thing that different astrologers can relate to in different ways, whether it's you know, a partner's chart, whether it's like you said, like a family member's chart, mm -hmm. or in some instances, you know, the astrologer's own chart, which, you know, if some people either, you know, get into astrology, but they don't know what time they're born, mm -hmm. or they only know that it was a range of, of a few hours. So the, right. the rising sign could be, you know, two or three different signs, or um, in some instances, I've met a bunch of astrologers who have their ascendant at like, 29 degrees of a sign so it could be 29 or it could be zero degrees of the next sign so they're also kind of tr constantly trying to rectify their chart or at least that's a major part of their story with astrology is trying to get to the heart of their own birth chart yeah and that's the thing that has really kept me from diving deeply into whole sign houses because somebody comes up with an exact birth time and they happen to be 29 degrees rising mm -hmm. and then it just really messes my mind up trying to figure out well if you're 29 degrees and it goes all the way back to zero then all these planets that are in the first house are going to go back to the 12th house and then how do you i mean how do you work with that you still use the whole sign even if it's a 29 degree ascendant right yeah i mean for for me that's one of the things that's really compelling about whole sign houses because you can tell the difference if the ascendant is at 29 degrees or if it's at zero degrees because all of the planets shift into a different house right and it's actually that it's one of the things that makes rectification easier to do because that shift is so stark from one rising sign to another mm -hmm. so you can kind of just go through the process of rectification with that person really quickly and and try to see well does it seem like they have mars in this house like the seventh house or does it seem like they have mars in the sixth house you know does it seem like they have jupiter in the second house or does it seem like they have jupiter in the third house right and if you do that process it's actually usually pretty stark and pretty clear so it's one of the actually appealing things to me about whole sign houses in terms of rectification mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's something patrick watts and i were actually launching a course this month on rectification using whole sign houses and just teaching people like how to do that how to compare two different charts or three different charts and just know um how to tell the difference of which one is the correct one for a person mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. yeah so that would be fascinating i think that's a great course to be studying yeah is rectification something 
I think it's something that like all astrologers have to do to a certain extent at some point in their life. I mean, you're you're kind of doing that to some extent with your your partner's chart essentially. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And I've I've worked on it with astrocartography hmm. because my rule with astrocartography is 10 degrees a planet can be 10 degrees from an angle either side of the angle to be effective in that location. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because there's not an exact certainty about the time. It could be a few minutes early. It could be a few minutes later. Um, and there's a, a, a kind of a vibratory influence, a vibrational influence of the planet that close to the angle. If it's just risen, it's still within 10 degrees of rising of the actual ascendant. It's still kind of lit up, mm. you know, from that rising point. And even if it's just set, you know, it's still carrying the energy of the light of day. And even as it's moving down into the darker um, region, into the into the shadow <laughs> or mm. whatever. And same with Midheaven I see, you know, it's it's uh, those are powerful points. And either side of the line tends to be uh, something that's uh, strong. Okay. Um, so t you said 10 degrees? Yeah, I go 10 degrees either side. Okay. Do you find though, like when you do have an exact birth time, that people's lines, when an exact like astrocartography line runs through a specific city, that that specific city is, is pretty important for them yeah, or that oh, yeah. specific location? Yeah, when it's right on, it's right on. It's, mm. it's exact. It's like um, Jim Lewis used to say, it's like being plugged into the electrical socket. You really feel it. You know, the juice is running through you. The electric current is running through you. But if you're a few degrees away, some planets, you don't want to be right on the line. You want to be three to five degrees away. So it just depends on how the planet is aspected in your chart, whether it's dignified, whether it's, it, you know, a planet that is useful to you. Um, by useful, I mean... There are certain planets that your life works better operating with, mm. um, flowing with, um, and other planets that just are not really in the picture, not in the equation. They're not really personal to you. You don't have any relationship to them exactly the way you do to other planets. Okay. Um, so with astrocartography you mentioned jim jim lewis did yeah. you um did you you knew him when he was alive oh yeah yeah he was one of my major influences in astrology hmm. even though I, I i think i met him in the early 80s and i had really begun my practice my professional practice in 1981 or was it 1980 it might have been 1980 uh yeah it was 1980 it was january 21st 1980 it was the first day of Aquarius in the first month of the first decade uh, year of, of that decade of the 80s. So that was when I, you know, talk about a shift, you know, it's like, here's the 80s. Now I'm going professional. That was when you st first started offering consultations yeah. and, and like yeah. accepting when money. Yeah, I for... said, okay, I'm now an astrologer. I'd been studying since 1974. Mm. And by circumstance in the outer world with a job situation and a person I was working for, um, I, the job, I decided I, I can't be here anymore. And so I just quit and I decided, mm, can I, can I do this? Mm. 
But by then I had already been doing a lot of people, either friends and family for practice or certain clients that I would get when people found out, when people find out you're an astrologer, believe it, they, they want to have their chart done some way, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of practice already and I thought, okay, let's just see if I can make this work. And I was going to give it, I don't know, I was going to give it two years to see if I could really make a living at it. And I've never looked back. It's never, you know, I always thought of what's plan B if this doesn't work. But fortunately, I've never had to use plan B. Mm. So um, uh, I've been very blessed in the um, astrology work, uh, certainly with clients, but also in the community. And just because it inspires me like nothing else has or does. And there's always new input. I'm always getting new input and kind of trying to keep up with the trends of what's new and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Jim Lewis came along in the early 80s, shortly after I began my practice. And I thought, wow, I love this. I love travel. I'm interested in travel. I love astrology. These It marries these two categories. And I said to him, I want to formally study with you. What what have you got? You know, what, what can I do? And so he did. He created a, a certification course, an exam, a course and an exam. And the exam was pretty rigorous. Um, but there were maybe a dozen or so of us that that went through that first training course and that he gave in San Francisco uh, over a weekend and I think it was 1984 and then I got my certificate in early 1985 and then I organized a conference with him in Southern California on astrocartography and we certified more people from that and then he had a growing list of community of people that were certified in his method. Um, so I was one of the the few in the beginning that was there. And what's interesting, I never dreamed I would have my own thing like that. But I have the, I'm following his model, the same model for the Venus uh, Star Point course. I have a course um, um, that. It, it, that you can take online. It's it's um, watching a series of videos um, and then um, an exam and then a certification mm. um, process. Um, so that was good. But Jim actually was such a, really a good astrologer, basically, not just astrocartography. I, I learned a lot from him just about uh, how he sees the planets working. He was highly political he he wouldn't probably survive today he would be th- they would be throwing tomatoes at him for all his political statements uh, because he was very you know he just said what he what he felt like three or four or five planets in gemini and he just said what he felt and um all of that but he um he put it together really well and i still use a lot of the methods that he taught me what um so he was the the developer of the astro cartography um astro locality or locational astrology technique yeah what was different about his approach or or what he developed like did locational astrology exist prior to that time or was the entire concept invented or was it just 
the idea of mapping it with the astrocartography lines onto a, like a world map was that the main innovation was it just a modification of an earlier idea or what was it that was unique about his approach i think locational charts relocational charts were used before he okay. um did this but he so that's where you take your birth chart and you just you leave the same time and date but you just set it for a different city yeah. like you're born in denver mm -hmm. but now you're moving to london okay yeah, that's not a good astrocartography line for me okay well okay but, where would you rather be no, athens no it's, it's, actually, athens? it's actually a good example <laughs> it's, it's actually a good example because i think it i think um it puts if you take my chart and you relocate it to london it puts like mars on the descendant or something like that mm, and mars is not such a friendly planet for you right it's not my best planet because it's like a day chart so it's contrary to the sect and it's yeah. in my 12th house natally so if we relocate it there so it emphasizes that placement basically right, right. Okay. it does mm. it does yeah open enemies yeah yeah so so um, don't go sneaking into the um royal quarters late at night or jumping the fence there yeah you're the, likely to get shot the Br british museum or something <laughs> yeah okay i'll try not to do that don't do night at the museum right <laughs> yeah like ben, ben stiller like yeah, sneaking yeah. in okay um so that concept though you're saying existed the idea of just like moving a person's chart and setting it in a different city that that already already existed prior to jim lewis some basic notion of relocational astrology right, right okay yeah and so he devised a way of mapping it you know it's it's sort of if you have mars on the ascendant let's say you're more of an equatorial type ascendant aries or libra or something like that scorpio taurus um scorp whatever um if your mars is rising in denver it's probably rising in santa fe and it's probably rising in mexico and it's probably rising in um you just it goes from north pole to south pole all the way down along a certain slope that's why he called it a line because it's the same mars in all these places in the world it's rising a better example would be to use a midheaven or ic position because then it's a straight line it's not sloping you know some of the depending on where you're born the rising and setting can be very curved um in terms of where the sun ro rose or set or where the planets rose or set but on the mcic lines they're the vertical axis of the chart and it it's just you know so you could say from the north pole at a what is this 105 degrees west longitude i'm not sure something like that something like that yeah same about the same as santa fe and so you would have it on the angle straight down okay right um so what he did was he figured out okay and then computerized it and said well mars is rising there but it's also rising there and it's also rising there and it's also rising there so he he partnered with a computer a very early computer company um in uh astronumeric service it was called um his name was greg and i can't remember his last name now but he was um he was the one who initially computerized and drew the maps um for jim and it was a big fold out you'd get like a big fold out map and it would show all your lines in the world and it stunned me when i opened my map for the first time because i saw a planet traveling the exact path 
through like seven or eight different countries in Europe that I had traveled a decade earlier, not having known astrology then, not having known astrocartography then. But I opened the map and I was just stunned to see all the places I had been and things I had already done. And there were the planets right there to prove, you know, what an incredible journey, you know, they were and how they were working um, for me. So he also devised the the term astrocartography with the little asterisks in between so he could trademark it. Because mm -hmm. I don't think he could trademark just those names because astro and cartography is or those are words you can't trademark words concepts i found the same thing when i was trying to trademark the venus star point i couldn't for the longest time i was wrestling with the u.s patent and trademark office about wanting to trademark that name but venus you can't trademark star you can't trademark point you you know but I said, well, what about all three together, you know? Um, and finally, I did have to hire a trademark attorney to figure out how it was going to be trademarked, and they got it through. But um, So it is a trademark name. But um, Jim did the same thing with astrocartography, and um, so he, he had some, other things that he added to it that were kind of interesting. So that's why sometimes when people mention astrocartography, it has those like asterisks yeah. in it because that's his specific like trademark yeah. of that concept of doing the relocated lines around on a on a global map. Yeah, but he had a very specific way. Um, he only used the ten planets. He only he did not use the nodes. He did not use Chiron or any of the asteroids. Back then, they weren't really, they were just kind of coming up anyway, but mm -hmm. he didn't use them. The 10 planets, four lines, ascending, descending, midheaven, and IC. Because formerly, he was a sidereal astrologer. Mm. And in sidereal astrology, I suppose, um, I haven't studied it, but I seem to recall him saying that angular positions were the most um the things that they really took note of in okay. the chart okay yeah in in that school of like sidereal in the late 20th century um uh, yeah probably coming from like cyril fagan and some of the people yeah like and donald bradley cyril fagan those were his um who he studied with and mm. you know he he picked up some things from jandro and jane charles jane and you know, these were really sophisticated thinkers of the mid 20th century that were doing some pretty groundbreaking astrology work at the time. Right. Um, so he was able, he, so he, he trademarked that specific thing of astrocartography. That, that's really interesting in terms of being able to trademark that. And I'll have to keep that in mind. So I just need to throw some like wingdings or for some like um, emojis or something in order to. Like like trademark. You thinking of trademarking something? Yeah, I'm just gonna start trademarking everything by throwing like uh, smiley emojis next to it. Yeah, right. Know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm gonna trademark like houses, like maybe the trine aspect, maybe. No, uh, it no. won't work. It won't work. Why no. not? Okay. Because I tried it with Venus and Star. 
Okay. And point. Yeah. No go. No trademarking Venus. Okay, that's tough. Um, I mean, that, <laughs> that would have been pretty impressive if you pulled off trademarking Venus. And I yeah, to, exactly. And I had to like I mean, pay you a royalty okay, every time I mentioned Venus. She gave me a lot of information, but she didn't say I could own her. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, you might get in trouble. Like that's yeah. the point when I think you get smited or something. And Venus is a goddess that will not be owned, by the way. Yeah. Don't try to possess Venus. Right. Well, she that's... has her own way and she has her own charm and she doesn't really need to be owned. Mm. Yeah. That, and well, that's part of the Venus cycle and the Venus retrograde cycle and, and the different phases of like evening star Venus versus that more uh, sort of warrior-like morning star Venus, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. And, you know, the warrior idea came... I mean, so a lot of the ancient cultures talked about that warrior goddess in the morning star phase, uh, particularly the Maya. They, they, and I don't want to really get political here, but the thing is that when we were in an Aries evening star in 2021, it was Aries, right? But it was an evening star. And I happened to notice that the, um, that Biden pulled the troops out of Afghanistan after 20 years of being there or close to. And so the evening star is not going towards war. It's sort of moving away from it, mm. you know, retreating, peace treaty. The, it, she's the love goddess, okay? And then this year it was the Capricorn morning star. And, you know, this big war started in the world. Right, in Ukraine. In the Ukraine. That's a good point. Cool, because the other thing about that makes me think, when you mentioned that about Biden and Afghanistan, so that was close to a conjunction? Is that what you're saying? Well, it was in the cycle of the Aries um, evening star phase. Okay. Because it started in late March of 21, and it went all the way through January of this year. And I think he pulled the troops out probably when? Summer? Was like it summer of August, last year? Yeah, August, I, August, I want to say. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Because I was just thinking also of what happened. Because I saw some um, videos recently of just like the plight of women in Afghanistan who were recently like protesting to for education. Because one one of the things that happened when the U.S. pulled out and the Taliban came back in is they instituted a lot more severe and strict res restrictions on women right. and, and being right. able to learn. So there was some protests there recently but then the taliban like opened fire on like a group of women and just started shooting them because they were trying to protest to right. get educated so it makes me think of that as well right yeah i'm not saying it was the best decision or the what you know what in terms of what did we have in place to protect those people once we pulled out mm. i don't no comment about that I'm just observing the fact that we, you know, if the ancients thought of the morning star cycle of Venus as the warrior goddess and the time to to um, initiate war or battle, um, and the evening star is, as not, as the more peacekeeping time mm -hmm. that, you know, and that's just one example. It's not like it, you know, we can't carry through history because... We've had wars lasting long periods of time. And they go through morning star, evening star, morning star, evening star phase, you know. And mm. were they all begun in a morning star phase? And did they all end in an evening star phase? That's research still 
to be done. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was mainly just thinking of the idea of like women coming out more to the forefront versus sometimes being in history being pushed back um, in ways. And, and that was F, definitely like a step back or a push backwards, at least in that country at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. And, but it makes you think that the more a group of people, in this case, women in Afghanistan, are being suppressed, the more there's going to be a reaction to that. You know, there are going to be forceful um, people on the other side pushing back against it. So this is the struggle we all are under, you know, when we get a any kind of suppression, um, told what to do uh, in America, especially, you know, we don't like Americans don't like to be told what to do we pretty much are law-abiding citizens, right? But when we're forced to do something, <laughs> that's when you see the people rebel. Yeah, well, and, and that's coming up really recently over the past month in Iran with the uh, Mercury retrograde that was in that started in Libra and then stationed direct in, in Virgo where there's been some protests that initially started out that were against um, women that were against having to wear uh, headscarf, right? Um, but then it's it's like blown up into a much larger. There was a woman that was uh, evidently like killed, yes, after being uh, right. ar- arrested, and, and it, big protests ensued. Yeah, and now it's like seems to be like snowballing into larger protests. But it initially started off with that. Um, mm-hmm. That is the focal point. Yeah, and think about the Arab Spring some years ago. It started with one little fruit vendor mm-hmm. in a in a fruit in a farmer's market type of thing Mm -hmm. and it spread then it it spread then to the whole country and neighboring countries and you know so it it really only takes one incident or one person sometimes to spark a really much bigger thing Uh, but again it's like human rights i think are going to be really challenged and really exercised as well um, even now with Saturn and Aquarius these last couple of years, we, we could see it all during COVID. Um, and we're also going to see it when Pluto comes into Aquarius. You know, it's, uh, I've kept thinking that this last two and a half years with Saturn and Aquarius was sort of like a precursor to Pluto and Aquarius, uh, 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 like a preview, a trailer, you know, what's going to happen when the movie in the big movie <laughs> yeah uh as an aquarius rising uh who's been who's excited for saturn to depart from aquarius in march i'm not super excited about that idea but you're probably you're probably right um well we'll see we'll see so that brings up another topic actually that you mentioned and you've talked about recently which is there's a longer super longer term cycle of venus that actually connects potentially in some ways to uh, the Pluto cycle and the current Pluto return that's happening in the United States birth chart going all the way back to 1776 mm-hmm. when Pluto was in late Capricorn when the country was founded. Yep. So yep. What, what's the connection there with that and Venus retrograde? I had Venus always cycle? thought of the Venus star um, like moving from Let's say let's picture the Venus star as a little animated figure, an emoji or something, or a human figure even, 
with a head and two arms and two legs. Okay. Can I copyright that? Is that? Yeah, you could do that. Okay. I'll try I mean, that. if whoever got those emojis copyrighted, man. Oh, they yeah, must that's be, true. They must be rolling in it. Right. You know, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. More money to, than God, as they say. <laughs> I'll have to look that up who came up with the emojis. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's got to be a new version, though, of emojis. I'm, I'm kind of tired of the existing emojis. There's got to be something a little like at the, at the next level. Mm. 3D emojis or something. I don't know. Yeah. Animated um, talking emojis. I don't know. Right. Yeah, we'll probably see that in our lifetime pretty soon here. What with the the metaverse and everything else, because a emoji, just a static one, probably doesn't look that great in like three D or in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, right. Okay. So back to were we trying to avoid talking about Pluto? Um, I don't know, but we got off the subject. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, let's go back to that because that's a really interesting point. So Pluto <laughs> cycle, you know, a lot of astrology. I think the second exact Pluto return just happened this year in July. I want to say that there's one more. Yeah, there is one more. Okay. So Pluto has a 248-year orbital cycle. Okay. And so we are 248 years from 1776, and um, we, I think the the last of the Pluto return will be um, in 2024, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, so that's that'll take us to the 248 years. The Venus star moving from you know one arm to the next is 251 years. Mm. I used to think of them both as 250, just to kind of round it off. Um, but I heard Nick talking on your show a few weeks ago. Nick Dagenbest. Nick Dagenbest, who who really follows Venus star cycles very thoroughly, and he's got all these things in his head um, about it. Uh, and I I realized, yeah, there are three years difference, but still, Pluto was in Capricorn in 1776, and Pluto is in Capricorn now, and will be, and so we are having the Pluto return. But the U.S. in 2026, when it hits zero Scorpio for its last point of Scorpio, it will be the star point return, the first first ever star point return for the U.S. because it's a one degree Scorpio star point at its birth, 1776. I do have a slide that I gave you on then and now, the 1770s and the 2020s, if you want to breeze through those and find it. Okay. So what, for the audio listeners, what are we looking at? Okay. So the 1770s from 71 to 83, we've got on October 22nd, a familiar date to us, we had the first Libra star at 29 Libra. Then four years later, it went in 1775, it was at one degree Scorpio. And that's the one the U.S. was born with. And then in 1779, 27 Libra. And then in 1783, 28 Libra. See how it goes back, you know, it went forward one degree, but it's actually really moving backwards. It's moving forwards and backwards, but generally going backwards. Yeah. And it's equal to now. Uh, 1771 is equivalent to 2022, the first Libra star point. 2026 uh, is equivalent to 1775. So... It made me think about the the ending and the beginning of something to do with the United States and the country and the founding 
fathers and um, whatever it was that they set up and how we're looking at that now because really only recently we had the Capitol riot, the insurrection at the Capitol, and uh, I we're, we're still on the trial there. We're still going through the trials and the hearings and all of that about it. And I think this is going to carry through. And we have we have a kind of revolution in brewing again or a civil war or some kind of something where the United States seems so divided right now. Like, can it go forward as a unified United States? It seems like it's a very divided states of America right now. And that the two sides are pushing always against each other and things, you know, there's there's not a lot of progress, you know, being made. And I think a lot of people are feeling like, um, you know, are we still abiding by the laws? And of course, the Constitution came later. So one of the things that Rick Tarnas said in his, um, you know, video series that came out, Changing the Gods, he's another one of my uh, influencers in terms of astrology. I really love his work. That history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. And I think what we're seeing here is we're going to have a rhyming with that decade of the founding of um, that nation called the United States when the colonies, the 13 colonies, came together and decided we are now the United States. And of course, their expansion. But Will we have founding fathers again? Well, maybe it's going to be founding mothers. Maybe it's going to be a whole diverse group of people that are going to be um, part of creating this new Bill of Rights or this new Constitution or whatever it is that we need. And certainly it seems like we need something to move forward because, uh, you know, how are we functioning? as a as a whole right now right so looking at this graph so it seems like we're in the period now that would be equivalent to the several year period leading up to the the revolutionary war mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um with this conjunction that's about to take place yeah. at the end of october this month the parallel is october of 1771 so several yep. years before the revolutionary war and then once we get to uh, the next conjunction in 2026, that's going to be the one uh, that's in October of 2026. That's the parallel mm -hmm. to 1775 and 1776. Yeah. If you just look at those four different dates on the top, mm -hmm. they match the four different dates on the bottom in terms of the actual star point, the Venus Kazemi, and how... Um, and the Revolutionary War, I believe, started in 1773. So it was uh, in this Libra-Scorpio transi transition between, between the end of the uh, Scorpio star and the beginning of the Libra star. So there was something afoot, you know? There was that energy afoot that we're, we're in a changing. And, and I think it's interesting that Scorpio is the star point for the country because I wouldn't have guessed that initially when I was working with this and I was looking up countries. Like I, I thought, no, America carries this different kind of 
um, mystique and why would it be a Scorpio star point? Because that is deals with other issues. But then I started thinking about it. And when you listen to politicians on the, on the campaign trail, at least for mo mo most of my life, listening to them, they've always talked about not raising taxes, like they're going to cut taxes, or you're not going to, your taxes won't go up, or that that was a basis for a lot of people to vote for them. And I think of Scorpio as taxes and other people's money, and that that whole idea of you know, kind of a wealth component, how resources um, either borrowed or um, shared. Uh, so, I mean, there's other aspects of Scorpio that I can identify with the United States too, of course. Um, but that was that was one of the things that first popped into my mind about um, it. It really is a country that is known for. Um, especially to immigrants, as a way to make it financially, you know, that create it. It's a country that lets you create opportunities to become financially um, solvent, or to to make something of yourself from nothing. You know, all the stories we heard as children about the immigrants coming here, very poor, not a penny in their pocket, and you know, turning their families into becoming dynasties. Um, and so forth. So I think a lot of that has to do with the Scorpio star point as well. Yeah. And it's exactly trying the natal Venus of the chart. You know, I think natal Venus uh, of the 1776 chart is like one or two degrees, a couple of degrees cancer. And then this Venus star is one Scorpio. So the two Venuses are really, you know, working together and supporting each other. Yeah. So, so this is really interesting. I mean, one of my main takeaways here is just that um, the parallel here is that we're in the period leading up to the Revolutionary War. Yeah. And then in a few years, we'll go into the period around the time that basically a repetition of the exact same Venus transits that were happening during the time of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. So it's like we've already heard echoes of that with a lot of astrologers are comparing that based on the Pluto return. Right. Exactly. Uh, and talking about the the declaration of independence and the founding of essentially democracy or the or the experiment with democracy to whatever the extent the United States is one um started at that time with mm -hmm. Pluto in the position it's come to now and, and that we're having some revisiting of that where where both sides have sort of been questioning whether the democracy is kind of like under attack or under threat in some sense. Um, so the Pluto return was already bringing some of that stuff up. Then we also have a lot of astrologers talking about the Uranus return that's coming up for the United States when Uranus re years later. returns to Gemini here in, what is that, like 2025, 2026? Mm -hmm, somewhere in, along there. Another air component to add to all the air we already are going to be experiencing. Right. And so that's Uranus, the planet Uranus returning back to the place that it was um, during the Revolutionary War, but also um, Uranus was there during the Civil War, and it was there during World War II. Mm -hmm. So a lot of astrologers are kind of like nervous about that, indicating either some sort of internal or external uh, war or conflict of some sort based on the last two times that happened. And then if that wasn't enough, it turns out that 
there's a very long-term 250-year Venus cycle that's also indicating a repetition or bringing us back to sort of the very early days of the country at this time as well. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Hmm. And I think also somehow the Neptune and Pluto cycle are also synced. Like every three Neptunes is two Plutos or something, or one and a half Neptunes is a Pluto. And we are also having a Neptune opposition to the United States chart at the same time. I think that's why so many people are really confused. Mm. You know, we're really like, what? Are, what's going on? I mean, not that Neptune and Pisces hasn't confused everybody everywhere, <laughs> but especially, you know, Neptune's in Virgo in the United States, and I in the United States chart. Mm -hmm. And I think of that as, you know, you know, her shining fields of wheat, her abundance, her farming, her her agriculture, her land of plenty, you know, people could would never go could in the early settlers, the early people that settled here were just would write back home and say things like, you can't believe the abundance of food here in this country, you know, fruit falling off of trees and just so much growth and and productivity. And I think of Neptune and Virgo as the um you know, not just the harvest and the harvest goddess, but the idea of work and service and work hard and God will reward you kind of um, element of sort of what we think of. You could, you could sort of think of that phrase as sort of the um, uh, uh, ideology of a lot of people that settled here, you know, that the immigrants at first came and even their descendants. And so right now with Neptune and Pisces, we don't have that, you know, jobs seem to be disappearing or people aren't having the security that they once had, or it's in a whole different realm. You know, it's, it's really in cyberspace right now, or it's in you know, it's with technology and other things. It's not on the earth. Um, I think there's a real confusion, not only about that, but about what it does this country represent. What does it believe? What is the prevailing way, you know, to move ahead here? And I don't think people really know. And, and yeah, we're all talking about in the coming years, it, it repeats the cycle of war that happened then, but aren't we kind of having a war now? I mean, it's certainly a war of words and a war of ideas and the, and the parties not agreeing at all on anything, basically. Very hard to get legislation passed for anything. Um, but we push ahead, you know. But this is just a na the nature of the times. I think this too will pass, and we'll see what is created. What what's the new vision for the country that needs to be created? That's part of Neptune's job too: is creating a vision, okay. and then you know, mo keeping it, holding that vision, and then moving towards it. Mm. So it looks like looking at your graph that in terms of the period in terms of the Venus cycle, once we get a little bit past this point, will be in like 
30, 30, 34, basically the early 1930s. 2030s, I'd say, were on target. Okay, so so early to mid-2030s, we start moving out of this Venus cycle phase? Yeah. Got it. Also, another big thing that leaving Scorpio, I have another slide on that, um, a picture of what happened at the beginning of Scorpio was... um, a petroleum-based industry. Okay, can we can we say that Scorpio deals with petroleum? There, that one transition from the Sagittarius hundred years prior to that. What was the mystique of the country? The Wild West, you know, the Western, the cowboys, and so forth. Um, it was the horse, you know, the, it, it was like we, we, our transportation was by horse mm-hmm. and all the industry supporting horses and horse and carriages and horseshoeing. And what did they do when the automobile came in and suddenly they, that whole industry dried up mm-hmm. for the most part? Well, the petroleum industry really got big. I mean, the car came in before the 20s, but. I would say by the 20s, it was pretty much an everyday thing, 20s and 30s, for Americans to have at least, you know, one car. Okay. So in your, and for the audio listeners, part of what you're showing on this slide is that there was a shift in the Venus conjunctions from Sagittarius to Scorpio then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, and it happened in the tw- in the late 20s. And over the 2030s, uh, 1930s. And we've been 100 years in the petroleum industry now, mm. big time. And my hope is that Libra delivers to us what Libra wants, and that is clean air mm. and um, not petroleum based um, world. I mean, sometimes it doesn't look like that. Libra also wants peace. It wants harmony in the world. You know, are we going to get that? You know, we have a war raging right now that's pretty pretty nasty and threats of it getting nastier. And we have uh, the coal industries and the petroleum industry not wanting to shift gears yet. They're trying to hold on for dear life. But I think they sense that there's only one more Scorpio star point and that by the time we get fully into Libra, that the demands of the earth and the people on the earth are going to be for clean air industries and not petroleum-based industries. And I just heard the other day, somebody told me, uh, I wasn't following the news, but California just California is usually the leader in a lot of these laws. But California just instituted a law saying that by 2035, absolutely no petroleum-based cars would be sold. New cars would not be sold. You could still buy used cars. But, you know, if the resources to fuel those used cars dry up, then what good is buying a used car that runs on gas? You know, because eventually the gas stations are all going to be not operating. Yeah. And so we're already in some of that transition. There's electric cars here and there, and there's hybrids that have happened, and there's, uh, you know, other technologies 
happening. Yeah, I it's really interesting that you mentioned that and that how that ties in with the that conjunction of Venus and the sun this month, that first one and how that's shifting from Scorpio to Libra because I just saw in the news in the past couple of days that um OPEC, the oil consortium mm-hmm. that a bunch of countries are in just announced um I think led by Russia and Saudi Arabia that they're going to cut oil production and so that's expected to sharply drive oil prices up and that's um really angered like the, the the white house and there's a bunch of people sort of complaining or saying that we should then this this may encourage the push uh further towards like electric cars and things like that in order to get away from oil and in order to get away from being sort of at the mercy of major oil producing countries um and having them having the power to sort of like affect the worldwide economy in that way through controlling or manipulating the the price of oil right and that's a good point things don't happen because we just think it's a good idea right it's usually because there's a mandate or this thing just stopped mm-hmm. you know you don't get this anymore we're not printing books anymore you have to go digital something like that um or Amazon's here now, so all the little bookstores are closing, you know, uh, because they can't compete. It it it's some outside force that creates that. So yeah, the bad news is, oh my God, oil prices are being driven way up. What are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. But the good news is it's gonna push for more pr- production of alternative modes. Mm. Of fuel, yeah, that's really wild. So, and that, yeah, that might track well in terms of what you were saying. Some states starting to set um, timelines in the future for um, the outlawing of like oil cars or cars that run on on petroleum or on oil, right? Um, and as well as pushes to set up. I think there was another announcement recently about um, funding a national network of. Um, electric charging stations along highways or something mm-hmm. something like that, which is another sort of push towards electric vehicles? It would have to be because right now you can't depend on, there's not enough electric charging stations to, um, to do it. Mm. You know, even in Greece where I, I live in a, a fairly small town on the Peloponnese and we have two places in town where you can charge electric cars um but i've never seen any cars being charged there (laughs) you know so i don't think they're quite there yet athens probably has a lot more but again you know you go to the small towns in america are there charging stations you know Mm -hmm. yeah well that's wild Um, and how long does it have to be charged in order for you to go another drive another 250 or 300 miles or whatever it is to the next fill up of your tank yeah, well, that's a that's an interesting thing here, though. Just seeing that in real time and how you've connected that with um, that past shift from Sagittarius to Scorpio of the Venus star point, um, and just the rise of of automobiles and of the petroleum industry and, and the potential of a, a shift towards or away from that right. over the past decade, if that was indeed tied with those conjunctions in Scorpio that have taken place over the past century. Yeah, because remember, every four years, the Kazemi happens in Scorpio. 
So it's a, a supercharged energy, that radiance, that light of the sun and Venus affecting a sign. Mm-hmm. For, and, and it empowers the sign. It, it, it gives it strength. It gives it resources. It gives it... That's why I look at each star point as to, okay, what house can I really work on this, this cycle to, you know, where is it? You know, what am I doing? What, what, where can I make best use of? But yeah, so every time it went through Scorpio, it was another increase in production. And I haven't studied the cycles of the oil prices going up and down and, you know, through the time, through the mm. last hundred years. But it would be an interesting study to see how it's correlated with the Venus star cycle through Scorpio. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like at times when Saturn's hit it, I noticed when the recession happened, um, for us in America, especially the real estate market, the bubble burst, um, Saturn was um, transiting in retrograde exactly where Venus was transiting in retrograde that year when that star point was being made, but Venus was retrograde, so was Saturn at the same spot. And boy, everything just collapsed. So you also want to look at, like for any retrograde cycle, you want to look at other planets that come into play. Okay. Um, so I'm just looking through some of your other slides, just in terms of there, if there's any other major points in terms of that might be relevant, the shift that we have coming up later this month with um, the Venus star point moving into Libra. Um yeah, I wanted if you wanted to go back to that Libra star of um the two women who worked tirelessly for um that one for um women's right women's right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um they were both Libra star points. We don't have any Libra star points yet having been born. If anyone's expecting a baby this coming year um after October 22nd, they will be the first of the Libra star points to be born in our era. But these two women had Venus star points in Libra, and they partnered together to push for women's right to vote. Sadly, they didn't see it come to pass in their lifetime, but about 50 years later, it did happen. And when you say they are a Venus star point, what you mean by that is that um, they were born that the preceding conjunction of the sun and Venus before they were born was the Venus star point in Libra. Yeah, the previous Kazemi to their birth. And that's how we define the star points. It's like, what's your Venus star point is basically when was the last Kazemi of Venus and the sun. And there are different ways. I have a slide on that too of, to look that up. You can find that in an ephemeris. You can find it um let's see where that slide is okay so you can look in the ephemeris okay you can go to the book venus star rising it's on pages 80 and 81 so if we looked it up in the ephemeris what are the instructions well you just look for the last time venus and this and the sun made a conjunction prior to your birth prior to your birth and then that closest prior to your birth closest one prior to your birth and whatever sign and degree Mm -hmm, that's it that conjunction was that's your venus star point yeah and then what so that's the easy way to do it for people who have an ephemeris so what does that mean then for you that any time that repeats then subsequently those are going to be important times in your life yeah okay Mm -hmm. 
And then, so you can look it up in the book. And also I have a table at my website, a PDF you can download and just put on your phone, which a lot of people have done, um, a PDF of the actual star point dates. Okay. Uh, and the title of your book is Venus Star Rising. Yeah. A New Cosmology for the 21st Century. Mm-hmm. There it is. Book. Um, all right. So going back to the two women that you were talking about, what were their names? Uh, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Okay. And these were early pioneers in like the yeah. women, women's yeah. suff suffrage movement? Yeah. And so how I did I want to link that to the current time frame is that women's um, activists and, and, you know, right before the Libra star point was a Scorpio, but women's activism has become very strong again in these last years of the Scorpio star point. And um, I think when we go into Libra, there's going to be more of that kind of thing. Equality for all kinds of groups of people. We, we don't have, um, when they were working on it, it, they were talking about two genders. We are in a very gender fluid time right now. Mm -hmm. And so we're not just talking about two genders. We're talking about all kinds of things that are needing to happen and wanting to happen for people who identify themselves in a, uh, across the spectrum. Hmm. Okay. So maybe just the broader concept of gender coming up as a discussion. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. And that's, that's interesting thinking about Venus in that way, even though it um, classically gets associated with the feminine uh, or or with women that it brings up potentially just like the concept of gender in general. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the Gemini star point has a lot to do with that too, which is still in play for a long time. But uh, the gender fluid decades that we've been experiencing really since the 60s, um, you know, it, 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 you know the gay rights movement first happened in 1969. The first Gemini star point happened in 64. And um, that was leading into the 70s and beyond for a whole um, group of people to be identified and to ask for um, equality in a lot of different ways. And we have seen that happen, you know, in terms of legalization of marriage and um, all benefits insurance wise and whatnot and mm. right now the big issue for women of course is is the reproductive rights and i think that's the next big fight for women um this whole thing with roe v wade and the backlash to it is probably what this libra star point's going to address in at least at the beginning of the of the years of of you know the libras the first couple of passes of libra star point um, Kazimis, uh, but as we go through the decades, we'll, we'll just have to see what else is, you know, what else is coming up. Yeah. It's been interesting seeing over the past few years, how sometimes kind of like the planets where most of the time the planets move forward in the long term, sometimes they do that U-turn and start moving backwards and go retrograde and, and sometimes take a step back. And it's, it's interesting how sometimes with like civil rights issues, how there's in like the long scheme of things, oftentimes like progress forward, but then sometimes 
things go retrograde and you see things taking a step backwards, it, mm-hmm. seem, it seems like for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like how the Venus star moves basically in one direction, but occasionally on a star point goes back before it goes forward. And that's what's happening now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're introducing a new Libra star point on October 22nd, but four years from now, it goes back to Scorpio one last time. This is the decade, I, and that, that's why I saw the retooling of the petroleum industry to happen during this decade, because if we can, um, if we can conclude that if, if the petroleum industry and cars and all of that began really strongly when the Scorpio star point came in, and now it's ending, um, is this a logical time for it to end? Okay. You know, I mean, it's a question for me. What, uh, but frankly, I can't see, again, if if Venus gets what she wants, gets what she wants, and she usually does um, in Libra, I don't think this is what she wants. Hmm. Yeah, some of the talk about uh, Libra or, or hear about the previous history of like the women's rights movement reminds me of how um, striking I thought it was seeing that the full ingress of Uranus into Libra um, back in the 1970s, how that coincided really closely. One of the, I think it was the final ingress with the Stonewall riots in New York, which is often talked about as being like this important turning point in terms of like the gay rights movement. 1969. Yeah, 69, sorry. And it was an Aries star point period when that happened too. Aries actually has been a hundred years of activism. Mm. Uh, Aries' star points tend to be activists, but even in the periods, the, the little sub-cycles of, you know, when it's actually a time of an Aries star point within the whole hundred year framework, it tends to be a lot of action going on, a lot of protests, a lot of whatever. Mm, right. Yeah. Cause that was like actually like people fighting back and yeah. Um for the first time, really, in a big mm, way. Mm. And that was for that was an important turning point both for I think for uh, same sex relationships mm-hmm. and for gay rights, but also for trans rights, um, starting to become more of uh, an issue as well because there were trans people that were involved in those riots. Yeah, yeah, or, or leading or organizing. Well, those. yeah, I I don't recall at the time I was there. I was there witnessing it. But uh, you were I in was here. New York, New York in nineteen sixty nine. No, not in sixty nine. But I was okay. here on the planet witnessing the the event, and um, I uh, watching it on the news and watching it, you know, come forth, and I. Um, don't recall i suppose yeah i'm sure trans was part of it too but Mm -hmm. the bigger statement was gay rights sure you know Mm -hmm. um and then i know other astrologers like um, nick tig and best have talked about like there's certain venus retrogrades that have also been tied in with like civil rights uh, uh, at different points as well so Mm -hmm. that seems like just the broader issue of civil rights seems like it, it's like a recurring venus theme, theme. yeah that too hmm. yeah 
Okay. Yeah. So remember, Venus is a, a um, she's a, she has a warrior goddess side to her as well as the love goddess side to her. She's not all just about love. Mm. If she has to create war or um, fight, let's just say fight, not war. But if she has to fight for the right to be, that's part of what she does too. Mm. You know, because I think the wars that we can see during the last Libra star point, at least in our country. So first we had the revolutionary war, which was to, uh, what was it over? It was paying taxes mm. on the tea that was coming from England. I mean, certainly we, America wanted to be self-governing and didn't want these British overlords, but at the bottom line, it was an economic decision. We don't want to pay taxes to the crown on all this tea. Okay. And so you think about the Scorpio star point again, you know, we're fighting over the right to own our, you know, to have, to be sovereign, but also to have our own, to enact our own, um, to set our own taxes or whatever. Right. It's often framed as like that the issue is about taxation without representation. Yeah. That's right. Taxation without representation. That's what it was. And, um, you know, I can see that um, that is part of the Libra issue. And then we had the Civil War during um, Libra. I mean, Abraham Lincoln wasn't a Libra star point, but he had Libra on his on one of his arms and Mars, the planet Mars in Libra right on that arm. And so he actually you know, instituted military action to help free the slaves. So it was another moment of a war, but again, around civil rights, which is a Libra concept. Mm, okay. So the recurring theme here is like civil rights and sometimes turning points. Human rights, I would say, not just civil rights. I think Libra is human rights. Right, of people not just needing, but people deserving certain um, rights at birth and often being certain groups or different classes of people being deprived of that, but then different turning points in history where there's a push to, um, for people to get like the rights that they deserve essentially mm -hmm. just as, as humans. Yep. Okay. I think we're getting to some core, um, Venus stuff here as, as we're talking about that this, this is, that's making me understand the archetype a little bit better and like how this is operating as a much more significant um complex archetype than we're, we're sometimes used to thinking about when it comes to venus where sometimes it just gets um you know flattened down to this thing about like love and relationships or finances or what have you but part of your whole point here is that venus is much more complex than people often give it credit for mm -hmm. well this is a bigger picture of venus the whole venus cycle like looking at it this way than your personal natal venus and a lot of people ask me well what's the difference between my natal venus and my venus star point because often they're in different signs mm. and uh, most of the time they're in different signs and i think uh the natal venus is where we look for those things outside of ourselves you know, through relationships, through our job security, through our, you know, where we're going to, what we're going to call home or our security or whatever, Taurus, Libra kind of things. 
But I think the Venus star point, the inner Venus star point with the sun, because it's Kazemi with the sun, it's like the sun, and then there's Venus, and then there's Earth, and they're all in a line, you know, and it's the sun, it's the laser beam of light from the sun, love from Venus shooting to the body, uh, you know, the organism as it's developing at the cellular level prior to one's birth that, you know, kind of opens it up activates something inside and um, it's in you and you don't have to go out to seek it whatever your star point is you don't have to go looking for somebody to get that or something to get that you already have that within you mm. you're born with it okay. um and it and it's it's it operates at a very strong level and also often at a very unconscious level we don't know what I call it a talent or a gift, an innate talent or gift that we have at birth. We don't always know that we have that until, and and with clients, when they get Venus star readings, I often say, well, look, you know, it's over here. Recently, I did a reading for somebody who had a, a ton of planets in Sagittarius, but the Venus star point was in Gemini. And... um. She didn't have any other planets in Gemini, but um, in fact, her whole life was operating under like Gemini. She was <laughs> operating like a Gemini. <laughs> and, you know, she's a writer. She had varied in interests. She was reading all kinds of things. She was doing multiple things at one time. She was, you know, perpetual student, very, very adamant about communication style and language and all that was very Geminian. And so when I explained the whole idea about Gemini and all that, she really related. But that's just one example. I, you know, I have now hundreds of examples that I could cite. But the main overarching theme here is that the Venus star point um, is not only inside you, and it sometimes operates unconsciously, and, um, but it can also possess you. At times, it can be like, that's all I want to do. You mm. know, that's what I'm doing. And we don't realize how much of ourselves is expressed through that particular way. It's like a deep internal drive or motivation, yeah. which is interesting because it makes me think of the the um, Hellenistic and med medieval term for Kazemi as being in the heart of the sun. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're talking about is, the, is Venus being Kazemi, which is in the heart of the sun, but then that conjunction prior to birth setting up something deep internally within a person based on where it where it happened in a person's chart yeah and and we've heard of terms like are you doing your heart work mm. you know are you doing the work that is just allowing you to survive or are you doing your heart work mm. and when people ask me about career guidance in readings and that's one thing i you know i go to first well what have you been doing? And what is your actual heart work? And then how does it connect to your Venus star and how do you get there? Mm, okay. And another thing about the Venus, the, uh, um, we didn't go into any of that today, but the Venus cycle being what it is, it's, it's Venus to Earth is in a phi relationship, PHI phi, you know, phi ratio. 
which is what mathematics, uh, mathematicians and artists and designers and all across the board, the ancients even called, you know, the golden ratio, the golden mean. It's a beautiful, harmonious um, relationship between the two, their cycles, the way they merge. And so it does create harmony. It is something inside of you. It is something you have passion for. But it also has to do with synchronicity. When I think when the Venus star comes around and activates something in your chart, that's when events happen. That's when, aha, I finally got it. I finally did it. I finally achieved all these things that I didn't think I would ever achieve. Um, but it is also operating on the principle of synchronicity. Um, so. It makes me, you mentioned harmony and the connection with the golden ratio in Venus. And it makes me think going back to the civil rights discussion that that's part of the issue is Venus seeking harmony and trying to rebalance the scales when there's a, a lack of that. There's a disharmony or a lack of balance. It tries to bring things back into balance, mm -hmm. but sometimes what's needed in order to bring things back into balance is, is pushing back against something or pushing the boundaries of where things currently are mm -hmm. in order to to renegotiate sometimes uh, social contracts. Yeah. And don't Libras do that anyway? Mm. I mean, isn't that an aspect of the sign of Libra mm -hmm. to always, um, I've heard people say to me, like somebody I know really well is a, um, he has this person in his life that's that's a Libra. Uh, this woman. And he says, aren't Libras supposed to be peaceful? But she's fighting all that. She fights with me all the time. She argues mm. with me all the time. Mm. I said, I've noticed that about Libras. They argue for something because whatever you put out over here, they're looking at the other side of it and they're making you, they're asking you to think about Okay, what's the other side? Mm -hmm. Whether they believe it or not, but it's kind of in their nature to just say, hey, you know, the, uh, it is a polarity to Aries, and it is so important on the axis, on the, on the cardinal points of the wheel. And so sometimes you can get extremes, you know, you can get these, these two opposite extremes of, of something happening um, at a very dynamic level. Uh, but I think that is part of their nature. It's part of their um, motivation in life is to question, okay, okay, you're Aries. This is what you say. This is what you're doing. This is the action you've taken. I need to, I need to question that now and say, why? Mm. Or I need to make you look at the other side yeah, of that, it. That makes sense. Sort of like if, if somebody steps one foot on a scale um, the scale goes down and the other side goes up. Yeah. So there's an imbalance. And so Libra's um, impulse is to, is to put their foot down on the other side of the scale to, to balance things exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to go all the way there. Mm. You know, we're going to have some kind of, and this is the, the magical and sometimes very challenging dance of relationships, <laughs> you know, because Libra does deal with the, whole idea of relation relating and i think this will also coming into this next cycle of all these libra kazimis we're going to be looking at relationships differently 
and um, reorganizing. Now, this first Gazemia square Pluto, pretty closely, uh, this 29 degree Libra, Kazemia square Pluto in late Capricorn. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of relationships being reorganized. Uh, endings, possibly. Pluto tends to bring endings. Um, are restructuring at the very least. Um, but something has to come out. You know, something that's been hidden from one or both parties in the relationship is probably going to be revealed and then adjustments are going to have to be made, changes are going to be having to be made. Um, so that's a big deal. And um, I, I think that um, not just with individual people like, um, okay, these two people, we've been working together, okay? Like, um, but companies, corporations, governments. There's a shift happening from this last Capricorn, Kazemi. Um, political alliances are ending and new ones are beginning. People have died. People are, you know, the queen has just died. By the way, she was born in 1926, the very first year of the Scorpio point, Kazemi. And she is, she passed as we're approaching, you know, the very end of the Scorpio timeline. So that was kind of interesting for me to think about. One of my fellow astrologers pointed that out um, in one of her um, postings. And I said to her, wow, you know, that's, that's, really, that's really interesting because it also brings about questions about the monarchy and how that's going to change with Charles at the helm. And what we talked about at the beginning of our country in terms of how was it begun and how was it built, you know, on land that was occupied by people that were already here and, and it was forcibly taken and then importing slaves to actually do the work to build it. Um, so I think Libra's also going to want to balance the scale in terms of this talk of reparations and um balancing the scales somehow mm. yeah that makes sense and, and some of the recent discussion of of uh colonialism and post-colonialism and and things yeah. like that that it becomes much more more prominent right um so one thing i want to mention before we wrap up because i know we're getting towards the end of our time is just it's really interesting time flies <laughs> i know yeah it's like two hours went by already a, yeah two hours wow <laughs> um so one of the things that's really fascinating though about this and about your work with the venus star point is that we're talking about like a prenatal um astronomical or astrological event or um indication because the venus star point by definition is something that happened prior to birth and that's a really interesting category of techniques there's a few there's not like a huge amount of them or there's not a huge amount of work done on this but there are some things that have been done on this of just like things that happen prior to or immediately prior to a person's birth somehow imprinting or somehow being important for what will become in their subsequent life it's an imprint yeah, yeah for imprint. sure okay mm -hmm. now we're just talking about one basic star point i've extended the idea here of putting all five star points that you were born around on a wheel so you are going to see the subsequent ones 
the two after your birth and the two prior to your star point. And yours is right in the middle, sort of at the head. And then the two that were feeding into it from before are over there on one side. And then the two after are over here on the other side. Mm. So actually, it is a technique that um, is an evolutionary advancement or progression, let's say, of Venus. Because just like if somebody was being born um, this year, at the end of the year, December, let's say December 1st this year, they're going to have a... They're going to have a Libra star point, 29 Libra. Um, but what was the star point before them? What fed into that? They're being born early in the Libra star point nine-month cycle, right? So part of the time in the womb, well, right before that was 18 Capricorn. So the way you chart it is you'd put 18 Capricorn on the arm before and 29 Libra on the head. and on the leg before the 18 Capricorn was last year's um, five degree Aries star point. So you're still being affected by, you know, those that came before and the two that are gonna be coming after, which will be your whole star wheel. So the three conjunctions essentially before uh, yeah, the sun three and Venus. before and two after. And two after, okay. Um, and what does that extend to? What's the total amount of time roughly, do you know? Uh, that, yeah. that ends up being before and after? Yeah, um, four years. Okay, four the years. half of a, uh, because, you know, we say that Venus makes a pentagram in eight years, but it's actually making two full stars in eight years. It's making a full morning star set and a full evening star set. Hmm. So, but it alternates. You're never going to get two morning stars in a row. You're, you know, the way Venus does its Kazemi is its interior conjunction producing the morning star, and the following one is um, exterior conjunction, producing the evening star, followed by an interior and then an exterior. It's always got that rhythm of the heartbeat of Venus, I call it, the heartbeat, the cosmic heartbeat. It's always morning, then evening, morning, then evening, morning, then evening. So you've got not only five different signs on your star, you've got a couple of morning stars and a couple of evening stars. Mm. Okay. So, and that's what these two other diagrams yeah, were. Yeah. And thank you to Maurice who, uh, Fernandez who, who did these diagrams that, uh, that we're using. So this is the morning star, Venus, the orange one yeah. cycle of conjunctions, which right. is, includes mm -hmm. the one we're about to have later this month. Yeah. And then there's a evening separate evening star one, which is the retrograde conjunctions. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, always when Venus is retrograde at the Kazemi halfway through, what comes out of that is she'll appear as a morning star some days after that Kazemi, mm -hmm. and she and it comes out very quickly in the morning sky. She she appears very very quickly in the morning sky after the um, after the conjunction. Uh, evening star takes a lot longer for her to be seen in the evening sky after the Kazemi. You won't see her immediately following the October 22nd Kazemi. You probably, I think um, recently Adam Gainsburg said um, in this webinar that we did um, 
that she won't be visible until around December 14th, 15th. Okay. Got it. So, and that just has to do with the speed of when she's moving retrograde versus direct? Both the speed and the direction. Mm, okay. Because, um, you know, when she's moving retrograde, she's the sun and Venus are moving in two opposite directions. So they're getting apart. They're distancing themselves from each other a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. When she's an evening star at that exterior conjunction, she and the sun are traveling about the same speed, and it takes a lot longer oh, okay. for her to surpass it. So she's still like in the beams. That's really interesting in terms of uh, just the astronomical or the symbolic interpretation. So you're saying when Venus is retrograde, um, the sun and Venus are moving away from each other much faster. Mm -hmm. And maybe symbolically then that's why sometimes retrogrades can be, for certain people, depending on how it hits your charts, this much more like gut-wrenching period of sometimes separations that occur in relationships or other things like that. Right. That's um, another way to look at it. And it's also because I see it as the beginning and ending of the Venus synodic cycle. And so at the end, what's Venus going to do at the end of her cycle? She's going to say, do I want to continue with this or not? Okay. So a time of, of endings. And it's not just personal relationships. A lot of people quit their jobs then or separate from something really big that they've been a part of for a while. Okay. Yeah, that's really that's a really good point. Um, all right, so uh, this has been really interesting. We've gotten to some like really amazing stuff here, and I know there's a whole lot of other stuff we could have gotten into because there's just a ton that's in your book. Um, what is what's the title of your book again? And is that where people can go to yeah. learn learn more about this? There's two books. There's uh, the print book, Venus Star Rising, which you have in your hand. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ebook, which is also available on Kindle or as a PDF called the Venus Star Point, much more abridged edition, the the ebook. It doesn't have all the astronomical charts and graphs that the print book has. Um, This is 400 plus pages. And my editor just said, stop when I, you know, I had more to say, but I mean, because information just kept coming through about it. And every time I work on a chart, you know how we are as astrologers. We see a new chart and it's like, oh, I could write a book about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my my book was 700 pages, so I had no editor to like tell me when to stop. So, oh, well. Yeah, that's Do you my... need an editor? Are you a Gemini star point by any chance? Uh, I don't remember, but possibly I definitely... I think you are. Yeah, right. I think we talked about that in the last episode because 80... everything you did was on a Gemini star point cycle. <laughs> right. Yeah, that Gemini one was pretty important for me because the last one was uh, 20, 2020. Well, that, that retrograde in 2020. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, um, so the print book has 400 pages. The ebook you said was a little shorter. It's how many pages? Oh, gosh. I don't remember, but it's not, doesn't have all the charts and graphs. It's my getting straight to the heart of your chart. So it's like, look up your star point and mm-hmm. then what does it mean? And then who are your, who do you partner with? You know, who are your arms and your legs and how are they working in your life? Got it. Okay. Um, and people can find more information about that on your website, which is what again? SophiaVenus.com. Okay. And go to 
sophiavenus.com slash books for more information about the book. Um, you said you also teach a like a course on this as well, right? Yeah, I have a training course that's also, you can look at that on the website um, to see if you really want to get into this more deeply. Okay. Definitely. Brilliant. And um, you do consultations? Mm-hmm. I'm slowing down on my consultations. I'm not uh, finding the time to do as many as I used to. Mm -hmm. um, but I still do. I don't want to give that up completely yet. I feel like as astrologers, that's the real, um, you know, where you roll up your sleeves and you're really like in the trenches because right. you can have all these theories and ideas and I can write books forever. But if I'm not working with people on the ground and seeing how things are actually working for them, I kind of lose um, touch with that reality. Mm -hmm. So I think I want to keep that going too. Yeah, that's when the techniques and the theory really comes alive when you sit down and talk to a stranger and you hear them describe their chart perfectly, but through their own just life events and experiences. Yeah. And so much of our writing, I think, depends on that. Mm. So many of the stories we hear from our friends, family, clients about what's going on for them. And of course, we look at the chart right away and we go, of course, that would have happened then, you know, but, you know, there's that synchronicity. And I didn't want to, I didn't mean to say that Venus is the only thing about synchronicity because the Venus star definitely is. It's that Fibonacci cycle and that golden ratio. And that is really very harmonious and synchronistic. But I think all astrology is, you know, the planets, the way they are. Think about when you were born and if you're going to live to be 90 years old, everything is pre-programmed. You're going to have an eclipse at a certain age on your sun. You're going to have a, a Pluto transit at a certain age on your sun or whatever, or whatever, or whatever. And that's all predetermined. That's not going to change. Mm. And so there are certain times in your life where you just know that's what you're going to expect. The, the, the part that's the mystery is how are we going to respond to it? What are we going to do about it? What choices are we going to make knowing that that's coming? then what are we going to do about it? Mm, okay. Yeah. And sometimes how you respond to things can make all the difference, especially internally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All so right. I loved our conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me for this. This is amazing. I'm really glad we got to do this. And it feels like a nice coming full circle thing, uh, you know, where we opened up the past two and a half years and, and like Venus, like coming back again and, and completing one cycle and opening up another. Well, we really are closing the loop because I didn't get to the Mercury Cafe the last time. By the way, Santa Fe and Denver for me are my Mercury line. So when you invited me to speak at the Mercury Cafe, I thought, well, this is, you know, this is appropriate. Um, and it didn't happen then because everything shut down. And here I am coming back to be at the Mercury Cafe again. So, right. Cool. All right. Well, um, thanks a lot for joining me today. And yeah, let's do this again sometime. Yeah, we will. Okay. Thanks so much, Chris. Yeah. Thanks All the everyone. best to you and your future programs. And I know, and the books to, yet to come. Yet to come soon. Uh, so, uh, all right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks everyone for watching or listening and we'll see you again next time. 
Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrology podcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code astropodcast15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, available at mountainastrologer.com, and The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs and Calendars, available at honeycomb.co.